Good morning, church. Today's reading is from Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 13. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Please be seated. This is the word of the Lord. And as you're being seated, I'd like to welcome up Pastor Chris DeHaan from the Vineyard. Yes. Give him a hand. Pastor Chris has been on this stage a few times before, uh, and he and his church have been a real mentor and supporter and just a shepherd of this ministry. So thank you, Pastor, and, and welcome. Thanks, Zach. I love this church. I love who you guys are and are becoming. I love what you do in our city. I hate the steps and I hate the podium. So it just it's too pulled up. So I can't see anything. I believe this is uh, your closing week of uh, your study through the, the uh, letter to the Philippians by Paul. I'm going to be speaking uh, specifically on verses 10 through 13 this morning. The remainder of the chapter, I encourage you to read it, think through it. It's about relationship. It's about the, the need for each other, about uh, serving well, and, and encourage you to read that. Last week, I think you talked about thinking right and living right. And that what goes on inside, what happens in our heart, what happens in our minds, shows itself out in the way we live. Something happens through the Spirit that impacts how we process life, how we see things, and how we live. And now here Paul is going to conclude the letter. Remember, he's writing this um, in chains as he writes this. And he thanks the church in Philippi for their financial support. He had needs like we all do, and they had taken care of him. They're meeting the needs, but he, like Paul always does, he uses that as an opportunity to teach something. And he wants to challenge them to trust in God to meet their needs and to have settled hearts, whether their needs are met or whether their needs are not met. And that's where he goes in, uh, in the section we're looking at this morning. My mom was born in 1926. Um, she passed away in 2016. Uh, she grew up in the Depression era, so even when we were... Um, had abundance. If, if there's like six peas left on in the pan, she would put them in a little cup and stick it in the refrigerator so it's full of stuff. And um, a few lessons I learned from her, and I will share them um, with you uh, this morning. Uh, early to bed and early to rise, and we didn't have a choice about that, by the way. Um, this would be uh, early. You can never get enough sun. Um, we didn't live in Arizona, and we knew nothing about skin cancer at the time. Um, the corollary to that is that you don't need curtains. Our home had no curtains in it. Um, we didn't live near anybody, but my mom just wanted sunshine in the house all the time. You can never have too many cups of coffee or too many pairs of reading glasses. I, I do remember my mom driving down the driveway multiple times with a cup of coffee on top of the station wagon. She'd forget it. And I've done it as well. Um, dogs matter as much as children, which is why she always called me by her dog's name. <laughs> you know how moms, they go through the list of your name if you're one of the younger kids, and by the time they, they get the wrong, 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 and then she would hit the dog's name, and I'm like, okay. 
The dog's name was Boomer, by the way. <laughs> Any time and at all times is the best time to pray. Never say there's nothing to do. The correlate of that is if you say those words, you earn the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> Scrabble is not a game. Scrabble is life. They love playing Scrabble. Uh, if you want to fight, take it outside. The correlate of that is if you don't, you earn the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> you can always pack one more bag or one more animal into the car. We would go away for the summers to Michigan from Chicago and our Ford Country Squire magazine, we were all packed in there. There's cats and dogs and stuff packed in little chipmunks and not chipmunks, gerbils, um, all that stuff. Guard your words. The corollary to that is words like stupid or shut up earn you the vacuum cleaner. My friends learned to vacuum really well because they didn't know the rules, so. <laughs> cream is for making whipped cream. Sugar is for desserts and cereal. Neither one was created to go in your coffee. A cheery disposition brightens the room. I think that's biblical, isn't it? Something about that. The corollary to that is a complaining spirit gets you the vacuum cleaner. <laughs> During trouble, she would say, things will look different in the morning. And then when they didn't, she would say, things will look different in the morning. And it would go on and on and on like that. Yes, deodorant is a stocking gift. <laughs> Lastly, count your blessings. My mom would always sing that song, count your blessings. Name the one. She would sing that constantly until we would quit complaining. The corollary to that is you count your blessings or you earn the vacuum cleaner. So I, I'm an expert at vacuuming. Um, I actually grew to like it. Um, I also learned something from her about what it means to have a contented heart. And our understanding in our world, what contentment is, is very, very different than what the scriptures teach about contentment. Our, our world functions on the, the assumption that we are perpetually discontent, which we are. Um, our advertising appeals to it. Our hearts are really quick to go there. And the answer usually is to think, if I just get what I believe I want, then I'm content, and we are sometimes for a little while, but it's not true contentment. Um, this happens every time I rent a car. I just rented one back in, uh, I had a brand new Nissan Frontier I rented in June to go to San Diego and back, and I just got back actually Friday night of this week about midnight. Um, I had spent 10 days in Michigan uh, visiting family, um, and so when I got there, I got to, my brother let me use his extra car for the last 10 days, so up until this late Friday night, I got to use his car. His extra car was a brand new BMW. So I spent 10 days driving around in this dumpy BMW, this brand new. It, it took me forever to even figure out how to start the thing. And um, so I got to drive that all week. It was great. So I arrived back this Friday night, midnight, into Tucson. My car was parked in the parking lot. Um, I, have a, I love my car. It's a 2000 Jeep Wrangler. It has 200,000 miles on it. I love that car. So I get to it, and first of all, the back is filled with water because it had been raining. And I wasn't underneath one of their new solar panel things. And my suitcase, the only place I can go is in the back. So I'm trying to brush the water out of the back so I can put my suitcase in there. The door doesn't always want to unlock and open. So when it doesn't, I have to get the zipper open and reach in and um, unlock the door. So I get in. It's hot. Um, air conditioners and old Jeeps are useless, primarily. Um, 
And I get in there, I start it up, and I drive off, and it's loud, and it's bumpy, and I'm thinking to myself, this car stinks. This car stinks. I'm 61 years old. What am I driving this old car? I should have something different. And deeply discontent. It's like, this car right off. Fortunately, in a few days, I'll forget about the BMW, and I'll, I'll be in the delusion that my car is actually an awesome car, and I will be happy as can be. We are so quick to become discontent. And that's kind of a silly one, but actually, I, I really was. I was like, I don't like this car. Why do I have this thing? Um, the scriptures, as we will see this morning, present a real challenge to us and to present a really different understanding of what it means to truly be content. Two notes about what contentment is and what it isn't. First, contentment does not mean that we ignore or we minimize trouble. Like somebody that's in an awful place, maybe an abusive place, to say, just be content there. That's not what we're talking about. Nor the idea that we should just stick it out no matter what. Contentment is not about having a need met. Like, like after a really good meal and your stomach is full and you're like, ah, oh, this feels good, right? I feel content. That's not what contentment is in the scriptures. Contentment is a posture of the heart that finds peace in trusting all of life to Jesus. It's a posture of the heart that finds peace when we entrust all of life to to Jesus. So pray with me, and then we're going to look at God's word. Pray with me. Lord, you have told us that this is the one to whom you will look, who is humble, contrite in spirit, and trembles at your word. So this morning, give us, give us right hearts before your word this morning before the Holy Spirit, our only teacher. Jesus prayed, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. So thank you, Father, for putting your truth in our hands this morning. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. So Philippians 4, 10 through 13. First one is there is a call to commit contentment. A call to contentment. He says, be content. Verse 11, he says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. So he doesn't care about that, actually. He says, I have learned in whatever situation I am, what does he say? To be content. Be content. It's to be an ongoing present state of the heart. An ongoing present state of the heart to be content. First Timothy 6 says, godliness with what? Contentment is great gain. Not godliness alone, but godliness with contentment is great gain. The word that Paul uses here is actually a, a secular word. Um, it means to be contained. It was used to describe countries that didn't need any imports. They had everything they needed within their, their self-contained country. And so we take that to be self-sufficient. Paul does a, a change on the word. He uses it from a different way. It's to be self-contained in Christ. To have everything we need, everything applied in Christ. Nothing needs to be imported into our life. If we have Jesus, it is enough. He uses it here, uh, here as well as 2 Corinthians 12 and 1 Timothy 6. That, the idea is that Christ alone is sufficient. Christ alone is sufficient. As I said, that the idea that we're contained in Christ and that we need nothing else. So Paul's idea of contentment that he's calling us to have here is to be completely, 
wholly and fully satisfied in him. It is a huge standard. It goes, so much of us just rises against that, to be completely holy and satisfied in him. Not him and something else, but him alone. Again, it's not to be oblivious or unconcerned about hard conditions, but to experience trust and settledness of heart while in them. As I said, the call is call here is a high call. To be able to live and say, Christ is enough. Have you ever prayed that? Going, I just want to live as though Christ is enough. And that actually can be lived out. We can actually do that through the power of the Spirit. As far as Paul concerned, um, like my mom, contentment is not optional. He calls us to be content. Hebrews 13.5, the writer says, Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Priya says, I, I will never leave you or, or forsake you. How, why can we be content with having maybe little? Because Christ is with us is the answer. And why is it commanded? Why are we commanded to be content? Underneath content is a lack of trust in God. Below, actually below discontent is a lack of trust in God. Hear that again. Underneath a discontent, how many have had discontented heart? Even this week, come on, we do. Happens all the time. Underneath a discontented heart is a lack of trust in God, which is why this is important to Paul. Contentment or the lack of it speaks to the condition of my soul. I believe that if you were to boil it down, Adam's first sin was a sin of discontent. He thought there was something else. He decided to find something else. He was discontent. Thomas Watson, who I'll quote several times this morning, was a Puritan pastor. Um, he says this, and this is hard. This is hard to hear. Because when we're discontent, we murmur, right? Maybe out loud, some of us, some of us just, just keep it inside. He says this, murmuring is no better than mutiny in the heart. It is rising up against God. When the sea is rough and unquiet, it casts forth nothing but foam. And when the heart is discontented, it casts forth the foam of anger and impatience. Murmuring is nothing more than the scum which boils off from a discontented heart. That's hard, isn't it? brings it to home that there's something underneath it that needs to be dealt with. In our workplaces, what's our, what is our right as workers, right? It's to complain. Um, depending on where you work, you hear it all the time. But it's not. Take note, there is a holy complaint and there is an unholy complaint. Uh, a holy complaint is, is like in the Psalms when we complain to God. God says, okay, it's fine. You can come to me and complain. An unholy content is when we complain about God. And there's a very big difference between the two. God's living word has instructed us this morning as his body, as his people. He says, be content. Have that state of the heart that finds everything holy and fully in Christ alone. Second of all, Paul tells us what? How do we get contentment? He says, you learn it. Contentment is learned. He says, not that I'm speaking in need, for I have learned it takes time 
that in whatever situation I am, to be content. So what does it mean to learn something? It's when it penetrates the heart deep enough that it shows up in what we do. That's when we've learned something. When it's penetrated through our mind and our heart deep enough and taken enough root that it actually shows up in how we live and act. Until then, we haven't learned it. In the case of contentment, um, what were the training grounds or the teaching grounds that Paul went through? What did it take for things to go from hearing I'm supposed to be content to actually being someone who could declare to these people to be content? Well, he learned through experience first, and along with that, he learned through training. The word training is discipline. He learned through experience and training. Doesn't that sound fun? Hard experiences and discipline. And I get what? I get heart of contentment is what we get. His learning experience was difficult. It was demanding. And it didn't happen in a day. We don't go home tonight and apply what we learned and we're content for the rest of our life. It doesn't work that way. Paul's teachers were a number. He says in verse 12, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And then you look through the rest of the scriptures, you discover some of his other teachers were what? They were shipwrecks, stoning, sounds fun, imprisonment, illness. He even talks about this, this thing, this thorn in the flesh that he endured for his life. All these, note all of them, were instructors teaching Paul what it means to have contentment. So interesting note, he says what? Hunger is an instructor about being content. Not having maybe some basic things that we need. Because what do they do? They either drive us to be angry and complaining, or they drive us to a Savior who can provide for us. And desperation. But interesting, he also says that abundance is a teacher as well. Because what happens when we have abundance? It, it, we forget our maker. We think it's us. We become self-sufficient. We become apathetic about it. And, and rather than being a tool for doing greater things, it becomes a, a source that drives us away from being content and having that kind of heart that's rested just in him. So he says, even when I have a lot, it's a challenge. When I have all I need, then it's a greater challenge even to remember I need Jesus just as much now as I did before. When I have my plate full and my plate's been empty, I need him just the same. And he says the same thing. He says it's the same thing as being hunger and plenty, but also in poverty as well as in wealth. The same thing. He learned through poverty. In midst of those circumstances, he discovered how to be content. Did he want more to eat? Did he need more money? He sure did. But he learned to be content and to find peace within his heart in that place. And then he was challenged when he had wealth to do the same thing. We must learn when we have little to none to trust him and depend on him and have a settled heart in him. And whether that's in physical things or in relationship things, or there's all sorts of areas that some of us, we often lack. The things that we're looking for, this aren't there at that time. We have to discover having a settled heart in those places. But we also have to discover it when we have abundance. When we have the good blessings, it's a challenge to stay, to stay dependent, to live by faith. To remember that it all comes from God's hands anyways. So wherever you are this morning, they are teachers for what it means to be content. John Owen, another uh, Puritan pastor, says this. 
It's true then, it's true today. Christians hear much, and they learn little. We hear much, but learn little, because the learning is hard. The learning is hard. And it takes time. And sometimes it requires teachers in our lives that are hard. Again, Thomas Watson says this, Contentment is a divine thing. It is not ours by acquisition, but rather infusion, as we cooperate with the Holy Spirit, who is our instructor in the contented life. As we let the things that God brings into our life, the the hard ones and the challenging ones and the good ones and the good gifts, and see them as instructors and cooperate with the Holy Spirit, what he wants to teach us in that, he can begin to produce in us the contented life. I'm wondering if we would be willing to pray each day, Lord, infuse into me a contented heart and do whatever you need to do to get me there. That's a hard prayer. Infuse into me a contented heart and do whatever you need to do to get me there. So we're called to contentment. Contentment is learned. And thirdly, the place for contentment. Where are we supposed to experience that? Verse 11, again, I'm, not that I'm speaking of being in need. I have learned that in whatever situation I am in, to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. So where is the place to be content? Well, it says it, in everything. In everything. I'm in everything. Even um, without taking time to address this, the places where we're in danger, perhaps, and we need to get out of that. In that midst, we can still, in the midst of moving out of that place and taking the right steps to do, deal with that, we can have peace in our hearts in the midst of even those places. It's in everything, in all situations, Paul says. There's no circumstance where we cannot find the peace that Christ promises and the settledness of heart that's needed for the moment. There is not one place where we cannot find the peace that Christ promises and the settledness of heart needed for the moment. It's there, it's ours, if we let him teach us. 2 Corinthians 9, God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As a matter of fact, in those places, in the midst of that, he says we can actually abound in the midst of those times. I shared about my mom who was always counting her blessings. Um, I think she rustled like all of us do, but I think she understood what contentment of heart is. But the fact is my mom had plenty of reasons not to be content. Um, our home and her life was full of trouble. There's pain and difficulty, and at times there's danger. Yet even through tears, she would say, I know that God is good. I know that he's with me. And I know that he's enough. And that's the, the calling he's calling us to in all places. I've referenced Thomas Watson a couple times. Um, he was born in 1620. Um, he's a Puritan preacher because of that. Depending on the political um, waves of the day, he spent time in and out of prison for preaching. He died suddenly at the age of 60. Like many, at that time, he had seven children. Four of them died as small children. He wrote a number of books, but one of them was called The Art of Divine Contentment. And it was basically an exposition of Philippians 4.11. 
And he writes a couple things here. He says, the way to be content is not by having our barns filled, but our mind quieted. It's not having our barns filled, which we like, you know, it's, it's nice. It's nice when something happens and, and you're not wondering how can I get this taken care of. It's there to be filled. But the way to be content is not by having our barns filled, but rather our mind quieted. He says, it's not troubles that trouble, but it is discontent. It is not troubles that trouble, but discontent. It's not the water without the ship, but the water that gets within that sinks it. It's not outward afflictions that can make the life of a Christian sad. A contented mind would sail above these waters. But when there's a leak of discontent open and trouble gets into the heart, then it becomes disquieted and it sinks. When we learn biblical contentment, we're able to face all things with a quieted heart and clear thinking. We're not ruled by the externals, which are always there, pressing on us in all sorts of different ways all week long, right? We are restoried by all sorts of other things that come into our life. And the true story within us wants to guide our life. Our circumstances or the ups and downs of our day do not drive us when we have a contented heart. And neither trial or even blessings can add or take away from the joy that's in our soul. And then lastly, what is the source of contentment? Paul says, I have learned the secret. And what is it? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The secret of contentment is to be in Christ. By the way, that's not a verse for athletes before a game to try to win. It's not the the verse that you read before taking a test to get an A. Um, The verse is about having a contented heart. How can we have contentment of heart no matter what? He says, I can do that, all things, through Christ who strengthens me. It's all about how we can live a contented life. Through Christ who strengthens, we actually can discover the secret and enjoy contentment of heart. In the beginning, it was this idea of being self-contained, as I said. Biblically, as I said, it's to be Christ-contained. That in him it's enough. Where do we find peace, strength, provision, contentment? Interesting, Jesus said, remember he said, don't take care of what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. Right? He says, my father cares about those things. And then later on, Peter says what? What do we do with cares? Cast your cares upon him. We can either take care of things or we can cast care. To take care is what he says, don't do that, because when you do it, you take it out of God's hands. We step outside of being in Christ, and we're trying to handle these things ourselves, and, and discontent will, will breed in our heart. Rather, we're to cast care, because if we're surrounded by Christ and in him, I can give it to him. We either take care, which takes the work out of God's hands, and then it rests with us. And by the way, if it rests with me, I am in desperate trouble. Or we can cast care, which puts it in the hands of God. When Paul had nothing, when he is impoverished, in want, at times without a place to sleep, hungry, in danger, here in this, he's in prison. Did he like it? I don't think so. I don't think he's any different than anybody else. Did he pray for provision? 
and rescue and help. I'm sure he did. But he was not shaken by those things. His heart was not stirred up in fear and anxiety over it. Rather, he had learned this great secret of a contented heart. When he was enjoying the good gifts, when he had full fare for his travels to get where he needed to go, when he had a home to sleep in, when he was welcomed to a home and the table was full of food and all of his friends were around it and they were enjoying each other in the evening. Did he like that? I'm sure he did. Those are great times. Did he love to stay in that place? I'm sure he did. But he also knew where those things came from. And he did not get self-sufficient of heart. And they were not the controlling features of dominating what directed how he experienced life and processed life. Rather, he was content. Psalm 73 says, Whom have I in heaven but you? There is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My heart and my flesh can fail. But God is the strength of my heart, and, and he is my portion forever, which, by the way, can never be taken away. Colossians 3, if you've been raised up with Christ, which we have, Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above and not on things on earth. Why? Because we are hidden. You have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. I love, um, in, in my home I used to hide a bit. Um, there were times when I hid and it was mainly because of, of some fearfulness. Um, to be hidden in Christ is such a good place. To be hidden in him. All is taken care of. When we are raised up with Christ, we get to see life from a very different perspective. When we are hidden with Christ, our souls can be well. And when we are in Christ, as Philippians 4.19 says, My God shall supply your every need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. The promise is whatever we actually need in the moment, he will provide according to his abundance. Short story, an example of what happens when we have a discontented heart. First Kings 21, I think we all know the story. We have King Ahab and his wife Jezebel. King Ahab has everything he wants. All the things that we think this is what brings our worldly understanding of contentment, to have everything you need. He had whatever he wanted. And yet there was a man next door to his palace that had a vineyard. And Ahab wanted his vineyard. He wanted that vineyard. So he went and offered to buy it. And the man said, I, I love my vineyard. I don't want to sell it. And so he's, it, the scriptures say that Ahab was sad. He was distraught. He was depressed. He wouldn't eat. Why? He was so discontent. And so Jezebel comes along and says, well, I got a plan. Let's falsely accuse this guy, hire some witnesses against him, and find him guilty. So they do it. And he's accused of this uh, breaking the law. They find they pay off false witnesses against him, and he's executed. And Ahab takes his vineyard. Ah, he's got what he wants. What could be better, right? A prophet comes along, if you know the story, and prophesies to him, because you've done that, the dogs are going to lick up your blood someday, and your wife is going to be eaten by dogs. That's how it's going to end for you. That's the fruit of a discontented life. Interesting, Ahab repents for a while, but the end of the story is he's killed in battle. It says the dogs licked up the blood in the bottom of the chariot. 
His wife is cast off the palace, and the dogs down below um, eat her. It's a sad story. Part of the seeds of that was discontent. Discontent. And most of us aren't going to go out and murder somebody to get something we want. But you know what? It's the same spirit inside of us that says, I'm not going to trust God for where I am and what he's doing. I'm not going to trust him for that. And the fruit of that is trouble. So what are a few things you can do to grow into the contented life? I'm going to, I'm going to share four. We know all these. These are just basic steps of growing Christ. The stuff that we have to do on a regular basis, day by day. They're, they're just basic things you do over and over and over again. And they produce the life that God's calling us to. Very simply, grow in your knowledge of Jesus. You've got to know him better. However that looks for you. Maybe it's just a reading plan. Or a verse a day, if you're not reading at all, is, 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 puts you in his word. Maybe it's joining a redemption mentorship group or something like that, that you're just going to grow in knowing him. But it's not enough to know knowledge about Jesus. We have to have communion with him as well. So the second one is to grow in communion with him. Again, what does that like, look like? It could be just creating space to hear and to listen to him. Some silence, some places away from all the noise where you can just pay attention to him. Perhaps it's growing through others through the joining of a redemption community or uh, being part of the journey, uh, the Healing Journey Women's Bible Study, or something like that, that you're going to grow with other people in communion with him, with the Lord, as you learn about him, and then you begin to commune and really interact with the Lord. Third, it's to grow in awareness of neediness. By the way, we are all desperately needy all the time. It doesn't change. We just don't pay attention to it. So to grow in the awareness of how needy we each are. When I know I'm weak, when I'm prone to discontent and desperate, we'll run to Jesus. Because we've been learning about him, we've been hearing from him, and we're going to run to him. One way to do that is develop a discipline of gratitude. Be people who give thanks. The more we give thanks, the more we understand how much we need him, and the more we give thanks to him again. And then lastly, what comes out of that is that we need to grow in our faith. It's a constant process comes as we who are needy grasp the promises of God in the midst of the trials of life. Those who know Jesus are communing with him. We know how needy we are and we grasp onto his promises in the midst of all the places of life. We are abundance as well as neediness. And we see him come through for us and our faith grows. It's a pretty simple process, isn't it? But it's, we don't do it. Or we hesitate or we drag our feet don't give attention to it. It's simple, but it's hard. So grow in your knowledge of him, grow in communion with him, grow in your awareness of need, and grow in our faith. And the fruit of that is a contented life, a truly contented life. Pray with me as we close. Lord, we are, I am so prone to discontent. When things don't go my way, when some of the places of life you put me into are just hard, even in little tiny things, the murmuring rises up inside. 
And I know I can sense it in those moments that it just blocks off your work in my life and through my life. So Lord, for each person here, for myself, help us to look around at every moment to see them as opportunities to learn contentment. That we would find ourselves truly finding that you are enough. And you could send us out these doors this morning to a world that's constantly looking for something. And we get to go out with something to offer because we have found it in you. Do that among us in Jesus' name. Amen.